Once my soul was astray from the heavenly way, I was wretched and vile as could be, but my Savior in love gave me peace from above when he I was nearing despair when he came to me there, and he showed me that I could be free. Then he lifted my feet, gave me glory complete when he reached down his hand for me. When the Savior reached down, rejoice when I hear his sweet voice in the tempest to him I then cling there to lean on his arm safe secure from all harm when he reached down his hand for me when the Savior reached down for me And aren't you glad he reached down his hand for us? That's good. If he didn't reach down his hand for you, boy, I'll tell you what, you're, you're missing out. I mean, he did. You just have to acknowledge it and accept it. But, boy, I'll tell you what, what a wonderful thing that the Lord Jesus Christ left heaven, came to earth, and lived a perfect, sinless life, and gave his all for us. Boy, I'm, t- I'm glad he reached down to us, because we could never reach up to him. We tried that. They did that, an experiment on that. You did read about that, I think, in chapter 11 of Genesis. They tried to build a tower to reach him and never did reach him. So he had to reach down to us. Amen? All right, Genesis chapter 13 tonight. Genesis chapter 13. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 13. We're going to begin reading verse 1. We're going to read through verse 9. And um, we're going to just... Um, you know, consider a simple thought tonight, um, nothing real complicated, something that probably you will be familiar with, and sometimes, like they say, um, repetition is the key to learning, and so we're going to try to drive home a little bit of a, a, a truth that I think will be helpful, <clears throat> and something, like I said, that may not be new to you, but I hope that it'll be helpful to you. Chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot went with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. 
for the south, excuse me, and he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, under the place where his, his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, Ai, under the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together. For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. There was a strife between the herdmen of Abraham's cattle, Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now the Lord had said to Abram, To get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that he would shew thee. And Abraham departed. And the Lord had spoken to him. And, you know, he went ahead and obeyed the Lord. That's always a good thing to do. Amen. And he took Lot with him. And Lot was Abraham's nephew, his brother's son. They traveled, they traded, they tarried together for some time until both became so very successful and increased with goods that it became almost impossible for them to dwell together. I do think it's interesting to note that Lot was in Egypt um, with Abram. I, I think that's interesting. And the only reason I bring that up is because what we're going to discuss and what we're going to deal with tonight is a choice, a decision. And I think it's interesting that Lot is with Abram when he asks his wife to lie for him. Uh, to say that you're really my sister and not my wife, because Abram was afraid that if they knew that she was his wife because she was so beautiful, they would just kill him and take her. And so he said, just tell them that, that you're really my sister. And then they'll, 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 they'll be careful with me. They'll go ahead and probably give me riches. They'll take you know, good care of me for your sake, so to speak. And I don't know about you, but I'm going I'm to be honest with you. So many times we create our own problems. So many times the decisions that we're going to find that people make um, in our, around us, those that are influenced by us, and we, don't, we may not think we're that much of an influence, but we are, they make bad decisions. And I think Lot's going to make a bad decision here in a, in a, in real soon in our passage. And, and I'm not so sure that Abram doesn't or can't, I don't, I'm not sure that Abram is really without uh, fault here. I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I, I have a real problem when the man of God, whether it's a preacher or whether it's a man in the pew, whether it's a woman that claims to be a Christian, will go ahead and dismiss the word of God and then wonder why others around them are making bad decisions. I'm telling you, Abram made a bad choice by asking everyone else to keep their mouth shut because not only did Sarah have to be careful what she said, but I'm sure others that were with him had to be careful too. 
Don't ever ask your kids to lie for you. Don't ask your children to lie for you. Don't ever ask them to do that. If you've ever done that, you ought to apologize for it. And if, you've, if you're planning on doing it, don't. Uh, you are really going to cause a child to make bad decisions in the future. I think that we see that with Lot here. But nonetheless, I, that's a whole little, another issue. But, but we see here that these men are, are now dwelling together. They come out, of, uh, they come out together. They've, they've dwelt together. They've, they've lived together for some time. And now here they are. Uh, they're just succeeding so well. Things are going so good. They can't even stick around together anymore because there's just too many, too many cattle, too many flocks, all of that stuff going on. So we note their substance. In Genesis 13, 5 and 6, it says here that, you know, Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. The land was not able to bear them. Means they just didn't have enough land to feed all the flocks. They didn't have enough ground to deal with all of, their, all of the, the animals that they did possess. For their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. We note their strife. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. Okay, so they're not getting along, right? There's a strife. There's a battle. There's a contention there. Uh, there's, I don't know if there was fist fights. I don't know if they killed one another. I'm not sure how that all went down. But there was a strife. There was a conflict here. And um, by the way, you need to be careful too. You can't let, you can't let people and things come between you and your family. Right, no, it's interesting that Abram and Lot here, they, they, they're very successful and they're very wealthy. Abram, very, very wise, uh, says to Lot, listen, our herdsmen aren't getting along. And, 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 and listen, Abram understood something. Sooner or later, it's going gonna, it's gonna to flow into our relationship. It's going to affect us. And we can't let that happen. We can't let that happen. And so good for him. That was wise on his part. And so nonetheless, we see their strife. So what was the solution? In Genesis 13, 8 and 9, Abraham says to Lot, let there be no strife. Hey, that's a good thing right there. Let there be no strife. When's the last time you made up your mind that you wouldn't be the purpose or the cause of the strife? Let there be no strife. Abraham taking the high road now. That's important. And he says here, I pray thee between me and thee. Let there be no strife between me and thee. He understood there would be if there wasn't already. And he says, in between my herdmen and thy herdmen. Let's not let this go on. For we be brethren. If not the, is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. If thou depart to the right hand, then I'll go to the left. So we arrive now at a very crucial point in the life of both of these men. It's a very crucial point. Here they are dwelling together, but there's a strife amongst them. There's some contention among the herdsmen, and, and Abram is concerned that it might ultimately affect the relationship that he has with his nephew and he, or the, the relationship the nephew has with him. And he says, listen, it's time to make some decisions. We've got to make a choice. And so we're confronted with this. We have to do something or it will affect us negatively anyway. So they've got a choice now, a decision to be made. They have steps that need to be taken. And the reality is that the next step would shape their futures. Their next step would solidify their legacies. And so that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to talk to you about the next step. Because ultimately the next step that would be taken is going to affect the lives of both of these men 
in a very profound way and will affect the lives of many others also. And you know what? I have the sneaking suspicion that there's going to be a decision you have to make too. And can I tell you that your next step will shape your future and that of your families and solidify your legacies. So let's have a word of prayer and then we're going to look at a few things. Father, we come to you. We ask for your leadership and we speak, Father, uh, to you tonight, thanking you for the privilege that we have to come boldly to your throne of grace. We ask that you would work and move in our lives, that you would use your word and these simple truths and principles that you present to, Father, truly make us better for you, to make good decisions on your behalf, to ultimately land us where we need to be so that we can honor and glorify you as much as we possibly can in this flesh. We need you now, and we pray for your leadership. May you guide us and help us, even this evening, in Christ's name, amen. So let's consider these two men for a few moments. Let's consider their direction. I mean, where are they going to, where are they headed? Look in Genesis chapter 13. Genesis 13, verse 10 now. We're we're already there, but look at verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Notice verse 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. What we're going to find is that each of these men is going to go in a certain direction. I mean, that direction meaning where are they headed? And in this particular case, we see that Lot has cast his eyes. Boy, I tell you what, the eye has always gotten mankind into trouble. Whether it's with Eve in the garden and then ultimately men along the way, it has always been the eye. I mean, you think of Samson, it was the eye. Every time we turn around, the eye focuses on something it shouldn't focus on, sees something it shouldn't see, and then finds itself directed in that, pointed in that direction. And may I say, when you see something you shouldn't be looking at and you continue to gaze upon it, it is going to affect your direction. Well, we got to be careful. I mean, Lot cast his eyes. And then he chose his step. In verse 11, he made it very clear that he chose him all the plain of Jordan. He looked over it and he saw it and he thought to himself, man, it is well watered. Man, this has potential. I mean to tell you, I can get rich over there in that land. I'm going to warn you right now, I don't care how good things look, you better be real careful when the motivation is really about you scoring a big buck. You better be careful about leaving your church and walking off into some other distant land and seeking some other kind of financial reward for that without ensuring that your spiritual well-being and that of your family is secure and safe. You better be careful with that. I'm telling you, Lot made some decisions, and he looked over there, and I mean to tell you, the raise was there. I mean, he said his 401k would be set. He would have a good future there with that particular company, that job. But my friend, he was destined to ruin and wreck his family. I'm sorry, but I just can't stand the thought of it. His direction. 
Look at Abram. Genesis chapter 13 again, verse 12. Notice again the direction. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan. That sounds like a pretty safe place to be. And Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Verse 14. And the Lord said unto Abram after the, that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, to thy seed forever. Verse 18. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelled in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. On one hand, we have Lot here, whose direction is towards Sodom and towards sin. On the other hand, now we have Abram, who his direction is toward the Savior and supply. God is going to meet his needs. God has promised to expand his horizons. God has said, I'm going to be with you. Direction. How important is their direction? Someone says, well, I don't know. I mean, I get it. And I mean, Lot didn't have to end up the way he did just because he went that direction. But my friend, direction ultimately determines destination. And destination is where you end up. And we know that Lot ended up in a bad place. He was in the wrong place and found himself in transgression. He found himself surrounded with sin and evil. We know that not only that, but he found himself in turmoil. It wouldn't be long before there's a battle. It wouldn't be long before he is taken captive, before he is bound. And my friend, let me tell you, there's something about that, that idea of here's Lot in this place, surrounded by sin and the, the, the wickedness of, of, of that city, and yet here we see him being taken captive by the enemy and bound. My friend, there's a picture there for you and I. I'm telling you there's no freedom in sin. There's only bondage in sin. transgression. He found himself in turmoil. He found himself in trouble. Major consequences. You say, what do you mean? Well, there's coming judgment, remember? Before long, the angels are coming down there and they're telling him, listen, if you've got any family in the city, you better get them out of here. You know what's so sad, so tragic about the situation? He had dragged his family down there into that sin cesspool. And he had allowed them to drink in that sin and that wickedness and that flesh unto the point where his daughters were even married to men involved in that kind of transgression. And when it came time to leave that city, they stayed behind and died. Oh, it won't matter. We can watch these shows. We can listen to that music. We can go ahead and live our lives the way we choose. Oh, we're, just, we're still going to church and we still teach Sunday school. Pastor doesn't need to know everything we do. Yeah, well, let me tell you, I don't need to, but I promise you this, God knows. And number two, your children know, and you're taking them into that cesspool of sin, and they're going to die. And when it's time to say, we've been playing games all these years, we've been messing up, we haven't been real and genuine, they'll say, well, I don't care, I ain't going with you. 
I don't know what happened to my kids. I raised them in church. Okay. You better quit playing games. This idea that you as parents can keep your sin secret to your kids is a lie. Daddies can mess around on the internet looking at pornography and mamas can go ahead and down talk and put their husbands down in front of the kids and we can go ahead and beat each other's throat continually and think that that's not going to take a toll on your children, that it's not going to reflect poorly not only on yourselves, it's going to reflect poorly on God, it's going to reflect poorly on God's institution, the home too. You better be careful with those things. The destination. I'm going to tell you what, the destination that Lot was headed toward, where he was going to end up in life, wasn't good. But on the other hand, we have Paul, though. Or excuse me, we have Abram. He was in the right place, and he found himself in communion with God. We find himself here now, and in, 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 as we mentioned in verse 18, that he's building an altar there unto the Lord. He's, inter, he's, he's, he's praying and he's seeking the face of God. I wonder how different things would have been if Lot would have deferred the choice to his elder. If Lot would have taken a subservient role instead of a predominant role in this decision. I wonder if he had said, you know what, Abram, you're older, you're wiser. I think it's, it's up to you. You're the reason why I'm here anyway. I wouldn't have been successful if it wouldn't have been for your help. I wonder if he would have just said, before I make a decision, I decided I'm just going to go ahead and let you make that decision, and I'm going to follow you. You go where you want to go, and I'll go the other direction. I wonder how that would have turned out. Young people, never, ever allow yourself to take precedence over an elder. You submit yourself to your elders. Whether it's your mom and dad, whether it's your pastor, whether it's your spiritual leader or guide, you submit to them and you allow them to take the leadership. If their life has proven to be successful, if they have done something or gone places that you ultimately want to go, you follow their lead. You allow them to lead. We live in a society where we're scared to death to tell people to submit to others. And yet, biblically, nothing has changed. we got to use wisdom. But this idea of throwing out God's word for wisdom, worldly wisdom, is wrong. They teach your children to submit to authority. The idea that they're not supposed to listen to a teacher if they just don't think they should. You don't need to teach them that. This idea that a four or five-year-old can tell whether a teacher wants to do something bad to him or not, that's ridiculous anyway. So instead, we raise our children to be totally and completely just incapable of submitting. It's ridiculous. Then they get older, and they become adults, and they don't want to listen to leadership either. Okay. All right. You say, well, I know of a situation. Yeah, and I know about a million others where people have destroyed their kids because they've taught them other than what the Bible teaches. That's the idea of bringing up one situation to try to prove that, whatever. I'm sorry, I, I, I'm, I'm fed up with it. I really am. I, I, I'm so tired of the fact that we just want to toss this book out of the way for our own humanism, our own ideology, our own thinking. We got better way than what God has to say anyway, right? We know better than him. That, you know what that's called? It's a five-letter word, 
Starts with a P and ends with an E. It's called pride. And you know, until we humble ourselves before God Almighty, you know, this idea, well, I will not humble myself to a man. You know why you can't humble yourself to a man? Because you can't humble yourself before God. That's a reality of life, by the way. You young people that say, well, I can't listen to my parents. You don't know the kind of parent they are. That's because you don't know anything about the God that you serve. You say, you're being pretty tough tonight. No, I'm telling you, you know what I'm being? Biblical. We have gotten so far away from the biblical standard of submission and leadership and humility. We have bought into the world's lie that we have a right to make our own decisions and do our own thing based on our own feelings. And you see the trouble we're in. Look at the marriages across the board in Christianity. Look at the families. We're we're killing our churches. We're saying we can't use Sunday nights anymore. We're going to go home on Sunday nights and spend family time. So we're not going to have services Sunday nights. We're not going to have services Wednesday nights. We're going to cut back church because it's cutting into all the family time. I'll tell you what, why don't we put our wives back out of the workforce, put them back home where they belong. You say, did you just say that? The Bi- women are to be keepers at home, the Bible says. So why is it that we're the first thing we want to get rid of? Listen, you want your wife working, that's your business. But let me say this. Why is it that we're going to throw our churches away? Why are we going to get rid of Sunday night and Wednesday night? And we're going to say, well, we need family time. How's come it's not our pocketbooks that are going to suffer? It's going to be God and his work. How's come it's always God that pays the price for our decisions? It's funny how we're willing to throw all that away. And you know what Lot did? He threw it all away. He said, you know what? I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care that I've got a man of God here. I know he's not perfect, and I know that he makes mistakes, but at least I see where God has led him, and I'm going to let him make some decisions. I'm going to go ahead and follow his lead, and I'm going to tell you something. His direction was off. It caused his destination to be off, too. The world is so bold, aren't they? How bold is the, is the world with their belief system? Why is it that we want to take our lead from the world today? When we see where they're ending up. Listen, I don't care what you think about issues. Uh, you, you do whatever you want. But I'm going to tell you what. You can say whatever you want, but I do not want my child to turn out to be homosexual. I don't want my boy to be transgender. I don't want my girl to be transgender. Listen, you go ahead and you go, we can go ahead and pretend all day long that there's, well, you know, everybody, you know, just let them live their lives and do what they want. That's fine. But let me tell you something. You be careful how friendly you are toward that in your own concept, in your own mind, because you may breed it in your own home. I'm not saying we have to hate people. I, I never once said that. They may hate us, but we don't have to hate them. But I'm going to tell you, we have, we have allowed our direction to change to the point where it's going to affect our destination. And ultimately, we're going to find it's going to affect our destiny. And that's how you're remembered, your legacy, what you leave behind. Lot lost his witness. You know that, don't you? He had no testimony for God. He lost his, own, his, he lost his world. Everything he thought he was gaining by going down there, he lost anyway. He lost his wife. He wrecked and ruined his children. He, he, he caused a, a whole city, basically, in my opinion, to go down the tubes. The worst thing you can do is put a man of God in a workplace and have him live like the world and say that this is what a Christian is. And if you ladies choose to work and you go to that workplace, you better act like a Christian lady or you're just as bad. 
He lost his witness. He lost the world. He lost his wife. He lost his worth. You say, how do you know? His self-respect. He lost his dignity. Do you understand what happened? He'd ultimately have a relationship with his two daughters. They got him drunk, and they had a relationship with their own dad, and they had offspring as a result of their father, that relationship. I don't know about you, but that seems like a pretty messed up situation. You know what it sounds a lot like? It sounds a lot like the world we live in today. Both of those offspring would become the bitter enemies of God's people, by the way. It's interesting, the very people that we produce in the midst of our sinfulness are often the greatest enemies of the people of God. Go ahead, wreck and ruin your child. You know who will hate the people of God more than anyone? Your kids. He said, boy, you are on a roll. Yeah, well, I am maybe, but I'm going to tell you, I think sometimes that we have allowed the world to scream so loud that we have cowered down in our Christianity, we won't even say what God says. We won't live it. We won't stand up for it. We see the devastation all around us, but we're unwilling to take a stand because we're afraid of the backlash. It's ridiculous. And then, in, 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 in essence, we continue to condone the behavior because we do not stand against it. Abram, this guy, his direction is toward the Savior and supply. His destination is a destination of communion and conquest and contentment. His destiny, unlike Lot's, is the promised land, a peculiar people, the prophesied Messiah. His legacy is one of faith, a faith that would live on in the lives of his children and on the pages of history throughout the Word of God. See, their next step determined their direction. You know one of the greatest mistakes that young people make is they think they can do something without consequences. You don't think it's a big deal. Well, my parents told me I shouldn't go to that party, but it's not a big deal. I know a lot of people go to parties. They're fine. You go to the party, your whole life's turned upside down. And you say, those people hurt me. Or those people did that to me. No, you did that. Take responsibility for your decision. We don't talk like that much today because that seems too hard. And so too many times as parents, we step in for our kids and we try to fix the problem. When in reality, our children made a bad choice. They need to learn how to deal with it. Their next step determined their direction. Their direction would determine their destination. And ultimately, their destination would determine their destiny. Lot's life was marked by flesh. It was marked by folly, fruitlessness, and failure. That's the mark of Lot. Abraham's life was marked by faith, faithfulness, fruit, and fortune. I don't know about you, but my next step, I want it to be in the right direction. Because it's going to lead me to a certain destination and ultimately to a a destiny. And I want that destiny to be faith and faithfulness and fruit and fortune. What kind of life do you desire? See, the next step is going to put you on a crash course with your destiny. The next step's going to do that. We take it so lightly. 
We take decisions and we act like it's no big deal. Well, everybody has to have a car. And I need a good car that runs good. So I run down to the dealership. My son works at a dealership, so I'm probably really not supposed to say this. But we run down to the dealership and we get involved in a car, in a car payment. And before we know it, we're up to our neck in debt. And then other things happen. And we can't afford the car. We can't afford our bills. And then we're just losing our minds. I've got all this anxiety. I've got all this stress. I don't know what to do. Me and the, hus- the, the husband or me and the wife are at each other's throat constantly. Seems like our family and our marriage is falling apart. So many times it began with that one step, that first step, that next step. Again, the consequences continue to just kind of snowball so many times. How are you, how are you, excuse me, how you are remembered, I should say. Your legacy, what you leave behind is all determined by your next step. And what I want for you, what I want for myself is a life, again, that's marked by faith and fruitfulness and fruit and fortitude, excuse me, fortune. And it all begins with a step, a decision. Think about Joshua and the people of God in Joshua 24. Look at Joshua 24, 15. What are you going to do with God in your life? What am I going to do with him? I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. It seems like the older I get sometimes, the harder it is to keep my relationship with the Lord fresh. It just seems that way to me. I feel like there's so much going on in my life at times, the, the ministry and uh, just, just uh, situations and circumstances that I find myself almost kind of in, in, what do you call that, autopilot. Kind of an autopilot. Boy, I tell you, that's a dangerous place. We have some decisions to make. What are we going to do with God? And and, and I'm just saying this, you may have a really good relationship with the Lord now, but you may have a choice to make, a step to take here in the near future. The Holy Spirit of God may speak to your heart about some decision you need to make on behalf of God or on behalf of your walk with the Lord. My friend, you better be careful how you choose because it could ultimately affect and will ultimately affect your direction, which will affect your destination and will ultimately affect your destiny. Notice what it says here. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. Of course, the children of Israel have occupied the land. And now here we are at the end of the book of Joshua and It won't be long that even Joshua will be gone now. And he stands before the people and he says to them, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, that's a crazy statement already, isn't it? If it seem evil (laughs) unto you to serve the Lord. Why would he even say that? Do you think that maybe somebody thought that then? And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom 
ye will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, the reference is made to the other side of the flood. We see that reference there. Most likely that refers to the great Euphrates River. It doesn't really refer to the biblical account of the flood. That's not what it's talking about. The fact is that Abram was called out of the Ur of Chaldees, and that places him and his descendants on the other side of the Euphrates River. See, the ancient Mesopotamian culture from which Abraham came was one of, 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 it was one of sophisticated mythology and idolatry. These were idolatrous people. Abraham did not come out of a Christian home. Abram did not come out of a godly family. He was called out of an idolatrous culture and home environment. Now we're going to see that, unfortunately, that didn't change much with Israel either. I mean, at least Abram, he pursued his relationship with God when he was called from his homeland. We've often wondered, haven't we, why would God call him away from his family? I think there's a lot going on here, and ultimately we know that as a nation they would settle in a particular land, but I do believe also that it's much harder to live for God in an environment that we grew up in that is idolatrous. Listen, the Bible often speaks and talks about the need for separating ourselves from certain influence and evils. Abram now is going to move, and he's going to take with him Lot, and he's going to take his wife and others And he obeys God. But you know, this idea of idolatry continued to haunt Israel. Even the the lives of the Israelites, while they were in Egypt, the Bible tells us that in bondage, in Egypt, that the Hebrew people reverted back to their idolatrous ways. They were idolatrous people. Verse 14, notice what it says here. Just one verse before the famous verse 15. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and where? In Egypt. The children of Israel served idols in Egypt. Now that that really is something that it's hard for me to wrap my mind around, isn't it? But remember, they're there 400 years and they're in an idolatrous nation. And although Abram has, uh, I mean, although they've been led now to this place and they've been introduced to God, the fact is, is remember, in chapter 3 of Exodus, he says, well, who, who do I tell him sent me? Tell him who? I am. They didn't know God the way they should have. Why would he have to define who sent him if they knew him? These were idolatrous people. And we often wonder why when they got out of Egypt, how's come they have this priest of theirs How's come Aaron, they have him building a golden calf? Well, they're just going back to their roots. They're going back to what they know. May I say that it's a dangerous thing for a Christian when you come to Christ and you start to find yourself in in a tough spot? Because here's what happens. If you're not careful, you go back to what you're comfortable with. You go back to your roots. And if you're not careful, you go right back to the sin you were in. And people say, well, they must not have really gotten saved then. I guess those weren't really Israelites. And Joshua is now 
he's requiring. He is crying out a challenge. And he's saying to these Jews to choose who they're going to serve now. I mean, look, we've been through thick and thin together. God delivered us out of Egypt. God brought us through the wilderness for 40 years. God gave us the land. God has done everything he said he was going to do. Now, let me ask you, who are you going to serve? There's a decision to make here. Can I tell you that that decision will determine the direction of that nation and it will determine the destination and ultimately the destiny of it. And you know what? We're required to choose as well. And that choice is expressed in a step. Will you serve the God who delivered you from the penalty of sin? the power of sin, and ultimately the very presence of sin? You know, will you and I serve the God who provided us with peace, purpose, and a future paradise? Or are we going to serve the gods of our fathers or the gods of the culture, the society we live in? I love sports. Man, I love football. I'm even trying to follow the Indians until, you know, I'm about ready to die watching them lose every game lately. Not even gonna make the, they're not even going to make the wild card. Are you kidding me? The rate they're going, it's over. Now, I hope I'm wrong, but boy, they're just messing up. I, I, I like the Cavs being good. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about our new football team. I mean, we're finally going to turn over a new leaf, right? It all begins next Sunday. Some of the young people fired up. But let me tell you something. Our world worships sports. We better be careful we don't. There's nothing wrong with enjoying sports. There's nothing wrong with participating in sports. But we better be careful who we're going to serve. Hey, there's nothing wrong with a husband or wife. But you better be careful who you put first. It's wonderful to have children, but you better be careful they don't take precedence over God and the relationship that you have with Him. It's sad, isn't it, that God gives us these wonderful gifts and then we use them to push Him out of our lives? That's sad, isn't it? They become idols. And He's saying, listen, you've got a choice to make. And that choice is reflected in a step. You're going to make that step one way or the other. And it is going to affect the direction that your life is going to go. It's then that choice of direction is going to determine your destination, where you end up. And where you end up is going to determine your destiny your legacy. The passage makes it very clear here in Joshua 24, 15 that we are going to serve either big G God or little G gods. It is that simple. We make choices, should I read my Bible or pray today? 
Should I go to church or not today? Let's make a decision, just one simple one. Who are we going to serve? See, if you choose to serve God, the God of heaven, then you're going to constantly make the right decisions in all those other areas. Oh, you may falter, you may fail sometimes, you may trip up, but if your heart and your desire is to choose to step to serving God, like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. If you'll make that decision, take that step, that'll put you on a direct course to the destination that's going to lead you to true success in Christian life. Your legacy will be solidified. Your future will be secure. You'll be passing the baton if you make that decision and take that step. But you know what? If you don't choose to to worship, to serve big G God, without a doubt, without question, unequivocally, you will serve little G-gods. It is not a matter of I won't serve other gods, but I'm not sold out for God. It doesn't work that way. There's no neutral. There's no in-between. Choose you this day who ye will serve. Whether. And what does he put up there? Whether God himself or God's. Listen, one way or the other, you and I are going to serve one or the other. It's just the way it is. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. What are we going to do about it? What are you going to do? Tonight, you've got to take a step. Don't rush that step, by the way. Think it through and be very careful about it. It's very dangerous as a parent to make a a choice before your children and not be prepared to follow through because it, 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 it confuses them. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord kids. And then after a week, you go back to your old routine. The kids go, huh? Nothing changed. So this is what serving God is really like. Total confusion. So this is what it means. So going to church didn't help at all, really. I thought things were supposed to change, but they didn't change any. Folks, listen, we got to quit playing games. There ought to be a noticeable change in our lives when we make a choice to serve God. There's not a perfect person in here, especially me. It is a constant battle to try to walk in the right direction in the world we live in. If you aren't in conflict on a regular basis, then you must not be battling. If you're comfortable in all of this, I don't know where the comfort's coming from because I don't know if it's the Lord. 
I mean, it's a constant battle to remain pure. It's a constant battle to remain clean. It's a constant battle to stay holy. It's a constant battle to please God with our lives. It's a constant battle to make the right decisions when given choices. <clears throat> and yet, we can rest if we're truly committed to Him. We can find peace. And we'll find purpose. And we'll find prosperity even. We've got to make the right choices. I hold two books in my hand. One is The Life and Works of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was a Baptist preacher. He's commonly called the Prince of Preachers by many. His messages are still in print today, and it's been over 100 years since his death. And yet we still read about him, we still read his sermons. <clears throat> wow. What a legacy, huh? I have another book, though. Look how much difference there is. This little Praying Hyde, he died at the age of 47. Praying Hyde, as he's known, was a missionary in India who, through much prayer, reached a people who were thought to be unreachable. Each of these books represents a life story. And their stories are, let's be honest, an inspiration to me. And I'm sure many of you have read about some of them. And they've been an inspiration to you if you've had the opportunity to read about them and get to know them. But you know what's interesting? There are millions and millions whose lives have ended totally different than these two. They made a decision one day with their life who they would serve. But millions of other believers have made the same decision, but they chose to go the different direction. I may not be a John Hyde, and I may never be a Charles Spurgeon for sure, but I don't want to be among the millions of believers who have chosen not to, to choose him. What choice will you make? Remember, your next step is going to determine your direction. Your direction will determine your destination, and your destination will determine your destiny. Are you saved tonight? If you're not, will you step toward the Savior? Will you ensure your destination is heaven today? Will you ensure your destiny is an eternal home in heaven? Life everlasting? Are you saved? Will you step by faith and experience the manifold blessings of God? Or will you step by flesh and find yourself in turmoil? Boy, I'll tell you what. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Lot had to make a decision that day. Which direction would he step off? Which way will he go? He made a decision. That decision ultimately wrecked and ruined his life. What decision will you make for God tonight? Will you serve the Lord? Will you give him your all? Or will you keep back 
Will you choose to not surrender at all, not to give it all, not to present yourself a living sacrifice? Remember, that step is going to determine your direction. And don't fool yourself. That direction will determine your destination. And then ultimately it will determine your destiny. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership and we ask for your convicting power in our lives, Lord. Each of one of us, all of us, Father, uh, come face to face with decisions. <clears throat> Tonight I challenge God's people to make a decision on behalf of you, the Lord Jesus. I, I, I ask them to choose to serve the Lord. <clears throat> but Lord, if we, choose, if, we, if we do not choose to serve you, the Lord, then we are in essence choosing to serve little g-gods because we're going to serve one or the other. May we not be guilty of, of that. Help us to make you big, your word big in our life. May you help us to truly give consideration and thought to our next step, realizing that it is ultimately going to affect our legacy. We'll thank you and praise you. And Lord, if there be any that are lost without Christ, may they, Father, simply step out of that seat and come forward and get it settled and nailed down once and for all. May they take the step toward the Lord so that their destiny is an eternal home, an eternal life. We'll thank you in Christ's name.